am Trudy Morgan Cole, and once again, it's time for an episode of Shelf Esteem Pandemic Edition. Uh, lots of us are in our houses, working from home, and waiting to see how things play out these days. And what better time to read books and talk about books? I'll be honest, I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 18th, and that was kind of a sucky day for me. Uh, because it was my last day at work until indefinitely whenever and I don't know what's going to happen with my classes, my students, a lot of uncertainty, but at times of uncertainty I always turn to books and I know a lot of us do, so it's a great time to talk about them and I'm so happy to have as my guests on this episode of the podcast what I like to call a local literary power couple, Russell Wangerski and Leslie Bryanhook, both award-winning authors, and as always I kicked off the episode asking what have you been reading lately that's left a big impression on you. I just finished reading Minus Time, which is a decade old by Catherine Bush. Okay. And it it was enthralling. It was absolutely the right book for the for this time. Uh-huh. Um, and just a fascinating look at everything from what we're doing to our planet to the dynamics between um, children and their parents and mothers and daughters. And, and complicated issues in there. It was it was brilliant. Oh wow, it sounds great. I haven't even heard of this book. This is not like usually so, when people say whatever they've been reading lately. I'm mean, going, oh yeah, I've heard of that, even if I haven't read it. But that's that's a new. Yeah, book. I pulled it's it out. It's one. been on my shelf forever, and I just uh-huh. pulled it off and started it, and I was enthralled. And when you when you hear the premise of it, it sounds very sci-fi, and it's not at all. But her mother. It starts with the launch of the mother into. Um, space to go to the space station to stay for an extended period of time, a kind of record-breaking period of time. And Mm -hmm. the protagonist is the daughter in her 20s, trying to cope with the absence of her mother, the the fame of her mother, and also uh, a lot of, I mean, she's she's an environmental activist, and Mm -hmm. and, um, so, you know, the idea of all this space stuff is not sitting well with her, but it's more around the family tensions of the mother having this dream and absenting herself from her children, okay. and you know how she feels with her mother going so far away, and it, it's fascinating. It sounds fascinating, yeah. It's great. What about you, Russell? What have you read lately or, or are reading? That's- well, I just finished up a book by uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafron, okay. a Spanish writer, and and I mean, it's it, it, it sounds sort of almost pretentious to say, but the way I buy books, I was in a bookstore in, in Ontario um, where the bookseller for an event um, had me in f- just to, to look around her shop. Uh-huh. And this, I bought that book and I bought French Exit by Patrick DeWitt okay, yeah. at the same time. And I didn't know this Spanish writer at all. I just really liked the, the premise of the book mm-hmm. about working in uh, the cemetery of books is oh, the yeah. library of the dead books basically and it's just a I liked it so much I gave it away immediately as soon as uh-huh. I finished it which I do all the time if I get a book I really like I end up just like another Patrick DeWitt book Ablutions which uh-huh. I wish I had still and I wish I had the Zafron book as mm-hmm. well but I end up giving them away as soon as I'm done. I'm, yeah, no, I'm like, this is really good. You have to read this. Oh, that's this. a very open-minded attitude and, towards books. Yeah. But then they're and gone. Also, our house will fall in if yeah. we keep oh, all man. the books. That's why. That's why I converted to reading e-books because I felt if I get any more, I will have to move out in a tent in the yard and just so the books have the house. I feel like I may have read that Zafron book. 
That sounds familiar. It's it's a one of a three part series. Yes, I have. Yes, it was yeah. a couple of years ago. Yes, so and this many one, people recommended it. Yeah, yeah, it was 2012. I think yeah. it came out. But yeah. this one is the middle one. Oh, okay. And I mean, it's just so astounding. Some of the parts of it, some of the scenes, just drag you right in. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a big chunk of it, he's in prison. Yeah. And uh, the sort of the day to day life in uh, in a prison in in this, in, I guess it's Spain, but okay. it, it's just remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the first one. It's the first of those books that I read. I haven't read that one, but I've read one one from the same series. But yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Booksellers and their recommendations. Price, oh yeah. Priceless. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with booksellers. They have they they do have great recommendations. Um, what are, when you look back sort of over, I don't know, like the books of your life, are there books that you look back as, as having had a big influence on you, either, you know, as the person you are or as a writer, since you're both writers? Well, for me as a writer and just, and as a reader as well, uh, Alistair MacLeod's Lost Salt Gift of Blood. Oh, yes. Yeah. A short story collection, uh, the first short story collection i ever read but it's strange it was the first time that i thought actually at the time i was i was in school and growing up in nova scotia and it was the first time i saw my own location reflected in a book and people i didn't know but you know recognized the sound of their voice and just it was it was just like it opened a door Mm -hmm. that you could actually do this from here yes um so and uh, i still have my ancient new canadian library copy i have that one too i have the new canadian library (laughs) copy i did it it in uh i think i did it in grad school and i hadn't discovered it before oh my goodness yeah well i saw lister mcleod read here and i brought up my ancient new canadian library and he laughed he said (laughs) you want me to sign this this and i said Yes. No, yes. That's great. That's so great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can remember. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that I always see as my own shortcoming in a writer is that, as a reader rather, is that I don't. I have. Tr- I struggle with short stories because I feel like if I love a short story, I want there to be more of it. And like, why is that not a whole? Oh, book? really? To yeah. me, yeah. a short story is so perfect. I know. If I love a, a short form. story, I'm just like. Oh, that's all I needed. It, it is a great form, and I know it's definitely a shortcoming in me, but that is one of the short story collections that I do love as a short story collection. It's well, so beautiful. Plus, I love the title so much. When you read them, uh, worse still is to read a short story collector collection by an actor because oh. they're so used to much tighter um, use of words. Uh-huh. I mean, Day Among Days by Sam Shepard is fantastic, but some of the short stories are <laughs> literally Three pages, oh, wow. four like, pages, really? like almost yeah, almost flash fiction. fiction yeah. But yeah, yeah, and, but in uh, day out of days, yeah. so great read. Okay, uh, what about you? Let's say other books, um, that books that really influenced decisions I made in my life. When I I, I grew up in the states, was mm-hmm. born and raised in the states, and and went to the University of Manitoba as kind of a big rebellion against mm-hmm. against I don't know whatever <laughs> the predictable confines of my life were. Uh, and I remember reading in second year at university Robertson Davies' uh, Fifth Business. Yeah. And I always think of that book as the book that made me a Canadian. That really? made me say I want to be a Canadian. And I went back and read it uh-huh. years, you know, decades later. And I couldn't put my finger on what... I mean, I remember it as reading a line and thinking, I'm a Canadian. I belong mm. in Canada. I'm going to stay here. 
And yet, when I read it again, I had the same feeling, but there was no distilled moment yeah, of you it. Couldn't, you couldn't you know? pinpoint yeah. the moment where that where Yeah, that and then a few years later... Um, I had I had my children, I mean, right away, like, literally, my first daughter was born the day after my university convocation. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and I was on a farm in the middle of Manitoba with two small children, and I went to the library, and I took out two Carol Shields books, mm. Swan and uh, The Orange Fish, I think, had okay, just come out, yeah. the short stories. And both of those, I mean, that was really what took me back to words. I graduated with an English degree mm -hmm. and a baby. Yeah. So, you know, you're just, you're in it then. Yeah. So those books really took me back to writing and back to words. And, and Swan remains one of my absolutely favorite um, sort of seminal reads that mm -hmm. I go back to again and again. Are you are you, are you a big rereader? Do you do you reread favorite? I am books not no? a big rereader at all. Really, very few things will I go back and reread. But certain ones, Cer you do. yeah, certain ones usually, and usually because I have a question about why it influenced me or what it was, and mm -hmm. I go back to mm -hmm. to look again for that. Yeah. And I assume you're probably not a rereader if you give books away as soon as you read them. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sometimes an accidental rereader. Uh huh. There'll be a book on the shelf, and I'll be looking for something to read. And if it's been a, it's been a real long time since I've read it, I might start into it and start thinking, "Man, I've read something very much like this before." <laughs> but no, by and large, I, I'm a I'm a one-time reader. I don't yeah. I don't tend to get more out of it a second time. Mm -hmm. Although there are some books that I think that five or ten years down the road I might read and mm -hmm. actually get a completely different yeah. read from them. Yeah. So Yeah, I think that's true. When you when you revisit books at a different time in your life, you're a different person and it's a different reading experience. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a big difference between us because Russell reads very quickly and I read painfully slowly. Oh, I really? read orally. I hear the words oh, okay. and speak them and if it's a really good book I stop every second paragraph to mm -hmm. really digest it and he'll whip through a book on a Sunday afternoon right, that yeah. will take me three or four weeks to uh -huh. really you know, move my way through. I also have trouble sitting still, so that yeah. might be part of the problem. Do you read a lot of the same books? Like, do you, you know, do you... Do we you will share? occasionally recommend things to each other. We uh -huh. don't have very similar tastes, but we do recommend things to each other. Or we'll say, oh, God, read this book and tell me what I'm not getting. <laughs> Why is this book so popular? And one of us will love it and one of us will hate it. Uh -huh. and, that, and that does happen a fair amount. Yeah. Where when we do intersect, you know, I'll find something and say... I got nothing out of this. Mm -hmm. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me not to talk about it. Yeah. And I love telling him he's wrong. So that's, <laughs> you know, it's great. Um, well, it's so often the case, I think, with... So you do have that experience often with books that are, like, really popular or super hyped, and you, and you read it and, like, I am not getting whatever right. else is this is not... Getting, but yeah. that's why there's a lot of books, because exactly. there's no one yeah. book for all of us, yeah. right? Which is which is so good, I think. But, you know, people do get very passionate about defending. Absolutely. Oh, everybody must. Which leads me to another of my questions. Are there books that you would that you do or wish you could recommend to other people? I, I have one that I recommend and recommend and recommend and I'm quite willing to give away and have handed to people uh -huh. and have them hand it back, I think in part because they're terrified by Cormac McCarthy because oh. they, I mean, if you're reading All the Pale Horses or Blood Meridian, I mean, you know what you're in for. It's a smash blood, horrid crazy, yeah. which I enjoy. But <laughs> he wrote a book called Sutri. 
which nobody talks about. And I've it, never heard of it's it. It's almost a it's almost a stream of consciousness in a in a post-apocalyptic. Um, southern United States mm-hmm. um, and centers around Sutri. I don't think you ever get his first name, who, among other things, is fishing for giant chemically polluted catfish basically by hand so he can sell them uh-huh. in the market. But it's just a, it's a. So it's like hillbilly hand fishing in a post apocalyptic world? <laughs> sort of. That's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, but it's it's just, it's intriguingly well put together. Wow. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't lean on any of the other stuff he's done. Uh-huh. But I will literally, I have put it in people's hands, at least three people's hands. Take it, try it, if you don't like it, you know? But I still have it. It's yeah. still on one of the many shelves in the living yeah. room, I think. You've never put it in my hands. I haven't read it. No. No, but you have never come close to liking a Cormac McCarthy <laughs> Well, I'm afraid of them, right? I just... Oh, oh yeah. In oh. the very first episode of this podcast, which was like three years ago, featured um, Elaine Greeley doing an extended rant about Cormac McCarthy and how much she... <laughs> so, he has a history with this podcast. Right. Well, it's an. I mean, he's an acquired taste. Well, For he's sure. he's a particular or, taste. Yeah, not not, a, not an acquired taste that everybody acquires. But oh no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> What about you, Leslie? Are there books um, you recommend or like to recommend to people? Yeah, I always recommend. Um, you know, it depends obviously on your audience yes, and who you're talking course, to. Yeah. Uh, I always thought if I taught high school English, I would teach the Poisonwood Bible, mm-hmm. which I think Barbara Kingsolver, yeah, which I think fantastic is book. a fantastic book and a fantastic look at uh, Westerners um, going into Africa mm-hmm. and the challenges you know that they face but also the the journey that they're on and and also the voices I mean the way she's put that book together it's a mother and yes. her daughters yeah. right and so each chapter is a different voice it's mm-hmm. one of the mothers one of the daughters and you cycle through them and there's a point at which you stop looking at whose chapter this is because their voices are so distinct. And that is so and hard the story for and it to is do, yeah. it is so beautifully woven mm-hmm. that book. And oh, even though you sort of have that impending feeling of doom, you know what's coming, but there are lines out of that book and mm-hmm. and you know, moments in that book that just really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. That I think I think it's a brilliant read. It is. I read it years and years ago, but it really is. Which makes me want to ask, have you read Five Wives by Joan Thomas? No, Which but I have heard that Yes, that it won is. a big award last mm-hmm. year. Governor General's Award, maybe, I think. Uh, but yeah, it reminds me of the Poisonwood Bible in some ways, because it has that same... Um, I guess that same backdrop of Westerners coming in as missionaries and, and do-gooders to right. a, to a It's very, that you know, do-gooder yeah, vibe yeah. right up against what is a, a monumentally different culture yes. and way of life and climate and physical experience. Yeah, and all these realities of, like, you know, colonialism and, and white saviorism. And, yeah, it's yeah. very... Fantastic It really reminded stuff. me of it. So it's a, that's a recommendation for me. <laughs> Um, are there books that when you look back at your reading history, and we've already talked about ones that are important to you, but like, you know, when you were a child or teenager, are there, there, were there books then that were, uh, that were really important to you that you still think about today? Oh yeah, when I was 13, Sweet Savage Love. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Rosemary Rogers, Sweet, Ginny and Steve. Oh, I don't know what it was about that book, but I've read it like four times and it is, it is 
you know, a bodice ripper mm-hmm. with, you know, a lot of, of rape that, you Ooh. know, is is completely politically incorrect, but also yeah. an incredibly epic uh, historical story. It's the, the Franco-Mexican War, I think. And, you know, I never see the word waristas that I don't think of <laughs> Ginny and Steve. And, you know, I don't know what it was about that book, but and it was, you know, one of those tiny, tiny print, uh-huh. huge pulp books and I love that book. And at 13 was that at all a forbidden book for you? Like was it the same? I suppose like, I mean, yeah. we didn't have forbidden books in no. my house. It was you I know was... mom and dad were on the golf course. They didn't care. Yeah. But... So you can really, <laughs> yeah. really read whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. it seems like yeah, it would be a real sort of initiation to adult reading yeah. Yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Books from? Oh, a couple really. I mean the the one of the ones that I remember the most is Arthur Ransom's Swallows and Amazons, which oh, yeah. I loved. Yeah. I just loved that book. And when my kids were a certain age, I thought they would love it too. Mm-hmm. So I got a copy and tried to read it to them out loud. Mm-hmm. And it is actually incredibly choppy, read yeah. out loud, and they were bored witless. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there was a generational issue. I was yeah. quite taken with the adventure and the mm-hmm. excitement of it. And the other one is a book that came out in 1972 and left no mark and vanished completely. But <laughs> Except on you. Well, when, when Leslie talks about how fast I read, I read fast because of how I learned to read. Uh-huh. When I was 10, my brother and I, my older brother and I, were, we were reading, you know, uh, Hardy Boys books. Mm-hmm. And my dad got a sabbatical op- opportunity in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So we went to Spain for a year. And there were no English books to read below the level of adult novel. So at at 10 years old, I started reading a book called Tramp in Armor, which is a story about a tank and its crew that get left behind uh, after everyone is evacuated at Dunkirk. And they have to try and get away. Uh And um, it was a... full-fledged adult novel so all of a sudden that's what I was reading Uh and you know after that I read everything that came into the house now we did have some books that were banned essentially Mm -hmm. if parts of it were too adult or too uh, bizarre they would find their way to a certain shelf in the bookshelves growing up but Charlie my older brother and I we knew where they were so we read them anywhere (laughs) anyway there was one um, that was particularly violent and actually mind-boggling called Grendel, which was the story of Beowulf told through the monster's eyes. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was one of the it was one, one of the, the bad books. But we basically, from that point on, we read everything. I mean, I can remember reading. Dad was a big lover of. Mom loved mysteries, and Dad loved spy novels. Oh yeah. So I read like the Game Set and Match series, mm-hmm. and uh, that's so. Tramp and Armor. I, I might find it again one day and see how horribly it's written it is. But <laughs> it was a, it was a kickoff into reading yeah. in, into reading adult yeah. novels. Yeah, it's always interesting that question of like you know as a kid, what was the first adult novel that you read? And and it's interesting how it seems to linger for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And I always read 
adult novels growing up too. Mm-hmm. That you know the shelves were just packed with them, and you just pulled down a book and read it. You know? A lot of the ones that I read, the first adult books I read were. Um, we always used to get the Reader's Digest condensed books. Yes, so did we. Yeah, so people love those so much nowadays. But that was actually like it was a good way to get a taste of a book. And there were right. many that I went on later to read the whole book because I had read the Reader's Digest condensed book. Exactly. But yeah. yeah, for me that was the intro to a lot of adult fiction. Was my dad would have the Reader's Digest condensed book around, and in pretty there was four in every volume, mm-hmm. and there would often be one out of the four that was something that was interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it I was, that. I mean, and that was the golden age when authors made money, yeah. and having a something in a condens- Reader's Digest oh, condensed bet, book would yeah. be like getting your show on Netflix. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like exactly. it's like it's a brand new, completely yeah. different audience, and it's going out. You know, it's going out to. An established audience yeah, already. These subscribers, it, it, yeah. yeah. And there, there, I mean, there used to be a special lower rate for it because obviously they weren't using all the words. Yeah. <laughs> but but authors would wait for that check the way they wait for PLR now. Yeah. yeah, that must have been an amazing editing job too because they felt I often they felt thought like about that. Novels, yeah, you, know? you didn't feel like oh, what's missing? Yeah. So what's missing? I would love to go back, take one of those, and, and look at what they took out and yeah. see how they condensed it. I mean, I guess it's like anything. It's like turning a book into a script or anything yeah, else, yeah. you know, that you would become artful about that. Well, I hear now all the time I that. hear on, on podcasts uh, the ads for uh, Blinkist, which is this app or whatever that it's nonfiction books, not novels, but it distills the essence of a nonfiction book down into a 15-minute audio thing where you can get the key points. And I'm like, that's basically what they were doing with the Reader's Digest condensed books, only not quite as condensed. Right, right. And the other thing I was going to say about about reading as a teenager was, you know, we read um, a tremendous amount of literature, obviously, in Mm -hmm. high school, as everyone did. And and I went to a school where that was really the big focus. So Mm -hmm. it it was excellent. But the books that I loved were The Scarlet Letter mm-hmm. and The Great Gatsby. And, I, you know, I got thinking about all the books I'd like. I hated Moby Dick and I hated, you know, I wasn't yeah. fond of most of them. And I got thinking later that the thing that the one common theme between all the books that I remembered and loved and really ate up was that they were all um, focused on women. Yes. Or the protagonist was a woman, or they had a really strong female lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As opposed to almost all of our literature was very male yes. otherwise, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember that same experience as a as a young female reader reading books being like, Okay, but but where where are there where are there girls in this story? <laughs> like well reading Lord of the Rings, you know, like and I loved Lord of the Rings, but like you were a long ways into that without eh, just a lot of dudes on a long trip. You right. Know, not a lot of female content. Right. Yeah, so that's that's interesting, yeah. especially with the classics. Yeah. yeah, and then you have to kill a mockingbird, but of course she's a young girl. Yes, yeah, and if you've a read child. What was the the sequel? But it was really the oh, go set a watchman. Go set a watchman. That's another book I recommend. I Do l- you? loved that book. That is so interesting. And I, what I loved about it, and what I could see happening, was she wrote this incredible psychological journey of this young mm-hmm. woman who was facing her hero father's mm-hmm. foibles. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and learning to be independent of that and dealing with that. And an editor said to her, well, nobody really wants to read about that. But, you know, you've got this interesting story story. of this, you know, this strong male lawyer character in a Mm -hmm. court case. So why don't you just do that story instead? I felt like I loved the book that Gosetta Watchman could have been. It read to me very much like an unpublished draft. Right. And I felt like if she had actually gone back to that story 
after To Kill a Mockingbird made it consistent with the backstory of To Kill a Mockingbird because there right. were some fairly major differences between the two. And then written it as a true sequel, I think, would have been amazing. But yeah. I also yeah. have issues with the fact that I believe it was probably published without her Without her consent. Or her yeah. consent. Yeah. But yeah, I think it had... Because it did... That was such an interesting tension. It really was. Yeah. And people hated it because they had idealized Atticus Finch. Exactly. And now yeah. he's... You know, he's got all these warts, yeah, as people do. But, you know, I grew up with a very strong father, so that story really resonated And with the me. thing is, it's not... The two Atticus Finches between those two books are not contradictory. Right. He could be that heroic, small-town, exactly. white lawyer standing up for the black client, and still, 20 years later, be this aging guy hanging on to these very racist ideas. Yeah, so and not, his ideas were not... Uh, unlike the ideas of progressive people of his time. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Again, that white savior yeah. idea that I'm going to be a champion for this black yeah, man. Yeah, very patriarchal. Yes, very, yeah. yeah. But I don't truly see him as an equal. You know, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want his kids in school with mine, which is, I think, one of the things Atticus says in Go Set a Watchman. Or Does he? Yeah, I just remember him saying they're not ready yeah, to, to be, take yeah. on citizenship. And yes, take yeah, on. yeah. Yeah, I find yeah. that book a lot more interesting than a lot of people give it credit for. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I think you're I the first that. person I've ever heard say that that's, uh, that that's a book you'd recommend. That's yeah. great. And to think Killing Mockingbird and Catcher in the Rye are still on the high school syllabus. Yes. I know. And yeah, Instead when our kids read um, uh, Catcher, in the, Catcher Rye. in the Rye, they were, we're like, like, what, what? the? Come on. And I remember being, it's so cutting edge, you know, it's and 30 it's, years ago. And now it's like, oh, yeah. come on. I what, what did Philip say? Oh, so he masturbates? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I just blanked for a second there, probably because I coughed, and I feel like every time you cough now... It's I know, like, it's like... <gasps> don't have COVID-19. But that does lead into me asking a question that I don't normally throw in, but I feel like we are in this moment where everybody is thinking, well, I'm going to be working from home or quarantined or whatever. I'm going to be reading a lot more. Um, and I'm just, just made me think about, like, is there quarantine specific or pandemic specific literature like are you either of you the kind of readers that would be like oh yeah i'm gonna pick up a novel about a plague right now or do you want something escapist that's as far as possible from this reality well for me i i'd see no reason to pick up a pandemic book i'm living in one yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know um it's 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 like reading Blood Meridian. You read Blood Meridian because no one is chopping off your head with an axe <laughs> or shooting you just for sport. Yeah. I mean, it, there's escapism and, and escaping. And I mean, one of the funny things for us is that, well, people are talking about, you know, having time to read books and getting a gap. Both of us work from home fairly regularly. Leslie right. works from home full time. Now, I'm her four times busier now because I'm on the emergency response committee oh, as well right. as my regular yeah. job. Yeah, so, and yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, I will be writing for the Telegram and for the chain from home. Yeah. And it's, it, if anything, it'll be more difficult because of the pandemic, not because I'm home, mm-hmm. but It'll because be more difficult for me because he's home. <laughs> but you can't write about the same thing every day in a newspaper. I mean, you get to a point where nobody wants to read another pandemic editorial. We're like, not there yet. I feel we are not there yet. No, like, no. there's no other news. <clears throat> but I've, I've ended... I guess there will be a time when there is. But I've ended at well, least three, ed- three editorials. right now, yeah. yeah, it would have to be pretty horrible to top this. Yeah. What were you saying? You've ended at least... I've ended at least three editorials with Wash Your Hands. Yes. And... I'm beginning to feel like 
ta- I'm talking to five-year-olds coming in from playtime. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, right. um, but in that sense, we won't end up with any more time. Would I, but to get back to the question, yes. would I be reading? No. I mean, it's like if you were happening to be turning into a June bug, you wouldn't be reading Kafka's Metamorphosis. <laughs> <laughs> Because some people yeah. would be like, I must read literature that relates to this experience. Right, so, it went to you, so you could go, oh, more shell coming. <laughs> well, I feel like I always read books. I mean, the books I love and the ones I really want to stick with, because mm-hmm. I am a abandoner if a yeah, book doesn't, okay. are books that are really human stories about people's, the complexity of people's motivations. And, you know, I don't want good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. I want complex yeah. motivational stories. And I feel like that the pandemic mm-hmm. is just another human story oh, yeah. in which we're watching people motivated by all kinds of different things, mm-hmm. um, you know, react against the reality of this virus. So I feel like everything I read is going to be about the pandemic anyway. That's interesting. I also started thinking today, you know, when... Well, what are people going to be writing about this experience? Like what kind of, you know, pandemic literature is going to right. come out of this? Surely people are already, you know, writers process everything by writing, even if it's not, you know, right. on surface. Oh, one, one of the problems when it's worldwide, though, is that, you know, I was <laughs> I was isolated for six weeks during the pandemic is not going to be a really exciting story because everybody was. That's true. You know? yes, but, yeah, it's not a unique story. Yeah. But. Well, I think it will end up going in two different streams. One will be pandemic from the outside, mm-hmm. big picture books, but I think there will also be a hell of a lot of couple and family drama on very small stages. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And probably a lot of people will do it badly and a few people will write it really really well and it'll be super compelling. And some <laughs> will be some will be absolutely tragic endings. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's interesting cuz I have been saying for a long time on this podcast when people recommend that I won't read dystopia and that's just in the last couple of years. It dystopia has just gotten too troubled. So like people keep telling me I should read Station 11. Have either of you read Station Eleven? No. Everybody loves Station Eleven, and they're like, "Oh no, it's it's you know you'd enjoy it." And and it, you know most of humanity has died because of the flu or something in that book. I'm like, okay, clearly I'm not going to read Station <laughs> yeah. Eleven now. But I, but yet I'm I, I'm kind of drawn to things about past experiences like that. Like uh, Geraldine Brooks's novel Year of Wonders. Have you read that? No. It's it's about an English village where almost everybody dies of the plague in right. like early 1600s. I would like to read that. I'm fascinated with the plague. And that is a beautiful and haunting and amazing and absolutely tragic, but also I remember feeling kind of life-affirmed and, and uh, up, a little bit uplifted, as much as you could be in the circumstances at the end of it. And she's a beautiful writer. So if I were to recommend... A, a, a pandemic book, it would be go back to the, the plague of the 1600s and read Year of Wonders because that, I think, uh, that's one I could stand revisiting now at this point. If you wanted to read a, a Newfoundland primer for it, you could always read We All Expected to Die by Ann Budgel, yes. which is, I mean, uh, uh, marching through it if I were doing I read it last year, but if I were reading it this year I think I'd stop mm, as yeah. People begin to pile up a bit like cordwood yeah. on the Labrador. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a look at the sheer math of a new influenza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. I made a note of it when it came out, and again, I would not choose to read it at this time right now. But I have seen the I think it's NFB documentary, The Last Days of Ocock, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which 
I guess was done long enough ago that some of the old people that they interviewed had been children at the time, uh, you know, when, when the flu epidemic was, was up in the Labrador coast. And it's just horrific. You know, it's it's uh, very sobering. So that, yeah, uh, absolutely. And a good reminder that, you know, we're not inventing no, hardship. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, and having mentioned, uh, you know, local uh, local books, are there books by local writers? I mean, you're obviously both local writers yourselves. So present I, company present excluded. Company, uh, excluded. But Leslie's uh, on my yeah. list. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> Good boy. Tell, tell us about a local book you're really excited about, and it can be Leslie's. Well, I, I've got there actually. I've got a set of four local newish books that mm-hmm. uh, Anne Budgels was one of them. Right. Um, Localish, Lyndon McIntyre's *The Wake*, yes. which is fascinating for a look at how um, indus- industry and industrialists can just ride havoc over a community. Wow! Um, it starts with a tidal wave, but ends with a human wave. Mm-hmm. Um, *My Camino* by Pat Warner. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is yeah, absolutely haven't read that yet, but fascinating and crashing and of course we all will be received by Leslie Reinhardt <laughs> which I might be in a bit of a conflict of, an inter- of interest on <laughs> but boy. is a very good read for sure okay. so um, and what about you Leslie? Uh, The Boat People by Sharon Bob oh, is yes. one of my favorite books of all time I so just lovely. think it's it's you know such an important story for right now mm-hmm. and such so beautifully woven and you know that compelling story of those newcomers to Canada and the struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, Michael Crummies, I mean, everyone says that, but it's pretty obvious. Um, the Innocence, I loved. Uh, and I thought it was just a, you know, people are always so, oh, the, the, the incest piece of it. And what was so shocking to me was the hardship of the life and the willingness of the adults who passed through their lives to leave them in it. Yes. You know, yeah. and not to save them and the economic reality of that kind of feudal system mm-hmm. that was happening was, I just found it's so... It's absolutely brutal. Like it's, yeah, so brutal and so beautifully wrought without being overly um, explained or overly, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't really driven in the way that could have ruined the, yeah. your experience of it. Uh, and and Sweetland is one of my very favorite oh, books, yes. just I for the, the architecture of it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I kept going back when I was writing my last novel and looking at how the the past and present had been interwoven yes. in that book. Yeah, it does that so brilliantly. So deftly. Sweetland is one of the few books ever that I have ever read and got to the last page and immediately turned back to the first page and started reading. And I also am a very fast reader if I'm enjoying a book. And I was traveling at the time, so I had like a, you know time on a train or plane or something. And I think I read it all in about a day and a half and then went back and read it again in about another two days because it just, yeah, I just wanted to see. Once I'd, once I'd absorbed the impact of it, I wanted to go back and see how he'd done it. Yeah. Mm. I really liked uh, The Innocence, but it's funny. I look at The Innocence and I think of The Innocence as a, a perfect small dessert mm. in that it's a very, I mean, it's obviously a tightly lit, knit group of characters. It's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. small segment. Yeah. But then I compare it to 
galore. Yes. Which I just, with the banquet. It's yeah, like everything. I mean, yeah. I, I read galore in a way that I don't read any other books. Mm -hmm. I would read a little piece of it and it was like reading fruitcake. It was so rich. Yeah. And then I put it down. And one of the reasons I put it down is I didn't want to run out of book. Mm. I mean, it is just such a richness of stuff going mm. on. I mean, you could actually have a po podcast called Let's Talk About Michael Crummy's Books. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. this, this podcast often does devolve into talking <laughs> yes. about Michael Crummy's books, to be fair. But, yeah. Yeah, and that's, it's interesting, too, that, that savoring a book and not wanting to read it too quickly. I'm doing that right now with Hilary Mantel's The Mirror and the Light, largely because... I know it's the end of this trilogy, and I know what's coming at the end of it, and I want to make it last because You're I don't want it to be over. Yeah, it. How long yeah. can you draw out this experience? Are there books, um, either I, I guess books you haven't read yet that you're really looking forward to, either ones that are newly out or that you know that you're that are coming out that you're anticipating? Russell's just finished a book that Ooh, I am, tell us a bit about that that I am really looking forward to. I now I haven't read this latest iteration of it. And, but I've lived it, so. Ah. <laughs> Leslie, it's nonfiction. It. Okay. Yeah, Leslie's got to be in it, which is. Can you is, give us a thumbnail sketch of what it's about? Um, sure. Um, it's called Same Ground, or at least it is right now. And it's a nonfiction look. My great-great-grandfather on my mother's side was a uh, gold miner in the 1849 gold rush. Oh, wow. And left a 54,000-word diary, which... I have and has never been published. Uh -huh. And Leslie and I took his route from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, across the California Trail and the Applegate Trail and the Lassen Trail, um, down into California to Coloma, uh -huh. which is the site of, of, of the gold rush, is uh -huh. Sutter's Mill. And uh, then I'm writing a book. He goes day by day and I go geography by geography. As we travel across the western United States. Across several weeks. Uh -huh. We made this yeah. back road journey oh, to follow the trail. absolutely fascinating. It's, it, well, it's four years in work now, and it's still got work to be done on it, mm -hmm. but it's in the second draft now, and I hate editing. Yeah. Leslie loves editing. I yeah. hate editing when I, I get did. to the end. Yeah. Well, it's like when I write a short story, I purposely keep the end far away from me. Mm -hmm. because I think, ah, oh, this is great. This is going to be a 3,000-word short story. This is going to be a 5,000. This is going to be a novella. <laughs> and then I'm going along, and I go, oh, I know how it ends. Well, we're done now. <laughs> and it ends right then. Wow. Yeah, I can't... Once I, once I know for certain how it's going to end, I can't build up to it mm -hmm. at all. So... Yeah. And then editing it is torture. Now that we've had a thumbnail sketch of Russell's new book, yes. I want to go back to him talking about We All Will Be Received because I oh. want you to give us a thumbnail <laughs> sketch of your new book. Oh. So relatively new. If, if someone was to say, what is that about, what would you say? Oh, it's about, uh, it's a, it starts in 1977, a young woman escaping a very bad, dangerous situation who ends up in Newfoundland, on the west coast of Newfoundland, and rebuilds her life and steals an identity. So it's mm -hmm. about the, you know, you could do that in 1977. Yes, you certainly yeah. cannot do More that now. More easily than today, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as, as glibly as stealing someone's mm -hmm. license and saying, yeah. that's my name now. 
Um, so she rebuilds a life. So it's in the and, and then a number of characters are also, and she ends up running an inn on the uh, northern peninsula. Mm-hmm. And a number of characters also looking to escape something mm-hmm. in in modern times are heading her way. Uh, and you know it's her past catching up to her and the the issues around how people want to escape their past but can no longer do it uh-huh. largely because of what's happened with the telecommunications industry yes. and the internet uh, and then they all get stuck get this in Newfoundland in a giant snowstorm oh my goodness how right? could we ever relate Which to that it never actually happens here <laughs> yeah and oh and yeah. yeah, and you can't know anymore. With Hardship no. ensues. Don't don't tell anymore, yes. so that everybody will want to want to read it. And now that I've made you talk about your own book, are there other books that you're looking for? I am. Heidi Wicks has a book about to come out, oh, okay. and I love Heidi's writing. Mm-hmm. And I can't even remember the name. Sorry, Heidi, of your of the new book, but um, I am really looking forward okay. to that one. Yeah. We are nearing the end, but I always ask people: Are there any books that you had in mind that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? A Gentleman in Moscow, which is one of the few books that you and I have both loved. Mm-hmm. Charming. Oh, and that would be all three of us, because I liked it, too. <laughs> I know, and everyone, I have a book club, and we never agree on anything, and everybody just loved that book. And in fact, somebody said, I was so sad when I finished that, because I actually missed him so much. Yes. Yeah. You know, he was just, I mean, that book was just so rich and so charming mm-hmm. and such a wonderful thing to fall into. Yeah. And also yeah. just the sheer brilliance of the idea of I'm going to do the Agatha Christie, create a character and trap them in one spot with yes. a limited number of characters yeah. and no means of escape. Yeah. Well, this whole historical penumbra is happening around yes, him that really a, is, you know, yeah. that is only really intersecting once in a while, but yeah. it's always there. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest upheavals in history is happening all around him. Yeah. And he's... Trapped in this He's trapped hotel, in a right? hotel in Moscow. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. In the 1920s. It's a, it's a fabulous book, well, 20s, 30s, etc. It is. It's a beautiful novel. Any, did you have any books we didn't get to, or did we pretty no, much get everything I mean, on your list? I'm sort of like a book miner. <laughs> I, I, it, it's not that I don't anticipate them. It's just that they come in a flood, and then I get attracted to specific ones almost always at bookstores. Yeah. And tragically, tragically, almost always at airport bookstores. Really? Which are disappearing at such a rate. Yes, My, they are. Yeah. I, I have to go to Ottawa on a regular basis for business, and Ottawa Airport had the best bookstore Mm-hmm. right after you come through security. And last time I was in there, which was September, because of a bunch of different stoppages, including the latest stoppage of trips, mm-hmm. um, the last time I was in there, the lady who is almost always on shift when I was there said, this is my last shift, they're closing the bookstore. Oh, no. Because the airport redevelopment is coming through, as airports do in Canada, yes. changing and changing and changing and changing. There are other places that have books. You'll find some. I know, but now <laughs> airport bookstores are, hey, here's James, James Patterson, Patterson and, and, his, bottle of water. and yeah, his, exactly. his team's 19 thrillers. Oh, you know, yeah. he's not even a writer anymore. He's the overseer of a yeah. writing team. You yes, can apply exactly. to be on his team yeah. if you can write Patterson. It's it's an amazing industry he's uh, he's got going there. I'm not sure it's writing, but it's 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 an amazing business model. Yeah, and it obviously works, and it works for a lot of people. Yeah. People people enjoy people them. But no, I, I agree with you about bookstores, and uh, I, I've got to say, amongst all the things that are quite rightly closing around us during this state of emergency, um, 
when I pulled up to chapters and saw the sign on the door that said temporarily closed, and I'm like, on the one hand, obviously it's people not are a, touching books. Yes, it's not a necessary service. Them. It should be closed, yeah. but oh yeah. my gosh! But with your e-reader. Yes, that, just is, that is a great thing. And did you uh, see Breakwater's just announced all their books? Are Breakwater has a great sale, sale on the go, and I'm going to get this podcast out enough that this will still be current information, that they have a great sale on e-books, uh, which, is, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. The library, of course, has shut down for the duration, but again, their e-library and audiobook services are still available. So, yeah, maybe we'll see the rise of the e-readers mm -hmm. during the pandemic, mm -hmm. which I'd be fine with. <laughs> Anyway, this has been a great conversation. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you. This was great. fun. And that wraps up my conversation with Leslie Brian Hook and Russell Wangerski. Leslie is the author of Ledger of the Open Hand and We All Will Be Received. Russell is the author of several books, including World Away, Burning Down the House, and The Glass Harmonica, among others. And I'll put links to all of their books, as well as all the books we talked about, on the show notes blog. As always, go to TrudyMortonCole.com, click on the shelf esteem link, and you can see all those links to everything we talked about. We'll be back with another podcast in April. Who knows what will have happened by then, folks. We are going through some rough times, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of change. And I hope that just as the people you love and care about are there for you, I also hope the books you love will be there for you, too, to retreat to when you need just to disappear into a book. Until then, I hope that you will read a good book, build your shelf esteem, stay safe, and wash your hands.